This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Jesse. And I'm Julie from Forgotten Classics. And I'm Luke from the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. And Luke, Luke and Julie, this is the first time you've been on a podcast together. Is that right? Yeah, I've, do, I've done a few yeah. of these SFBRP things. No, not these SF, uh, sort of crossover <laughs> things as well um, the, with the SFF audio. Uh, we, yeah, I did, what was it? The, the Steel Remains and we did the, um, the Invisible Man. Me and Jesse did it as well. Uh, so, but it's, gonna, it's great. And I've done some other bits and pieces, I'm sure. I can't remember all the times. But yeah, it's the first time. And I never, uh, but it's strange because I've heard Julie quite a few times on this podcast over the last few read-alongs. And uh, and yeah, so it's it's uh, yeah. You were actually fated to meet earlier uh, with um, the uh, the one we did that was public domain. What yeah, was the it? state of civilization. I, yeah, uh, yes. and I was going to do that, but I was you know what happened was that I was away, and uh, and then there was the whole volcano ash cloud thing going <laughs> on. So I managed to uh, I, I, you know I was all delayed, and and I thought I'd be home by then, but. Um, but that was it. But this one is really great because we, we rescheduled this because otherwise I'd have been away again, ironically enough. In I know, well, we had to get you back back on and together. Yeah. Today we're going to talk I, about the no, not the demolished man, the stars, my destination. <laughs> by yeah. Professor. Yeah. So, what's up? Yes. How'd everybody like it? I loved it. Oh, no, no. Let's do that. We'll oh. talk about the book first and then go into liking it or disliking it. Oh, okay. Let's do it in your order. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Well, I, I, okay. I get it. You do no, what you no, want. No, that's okay. Scott liked it. Why do you like it, Scott? Um, it was really good. No. <laughs> no, I liked Okay, I liked, Luke was I, right. Never mind. <laughs> podcast finished. Yeah. Thanks for coming, everybody. No. Um, uh, no, I, I liked uh, quite a, quite a bit about it. Um, I guess well, Luke is right in that we probably should talk about the. Um, yes, he's right. What it's he's about completely right. Before, so that you know what I say makes sense. <laughs> yep. So uh, what it's about is um, a, a fellow named uh, Gulliver Foyle, who yeah. begins the book uh, stuck on a ship, um, trying to get out. It's kind of amazing you know, the kind of the situation that he's in. Um, so he's he's in a closet uh, with air in it, and every time his air bottle uh, goes out, he needs to go outside into um, the vacuum of space, go get another bottle and put it back in his closet, and then close the door and open the bottle. Um, yeah. That, I mean, the, the, the whole bit, him being shipwrecked, but like spaceship wrecked at the beginning, I actually really like that. But the, yeah. the, the real beginning, like there's like the prologue, I guess it is, is where you find out about jaunting. And I think this is quite an important thing so people oh. understand. Oh, yeah. uh, even though it's, it's strange that it, it informs the story quite a bit, but it's almost like the story could have been told without, without the jaunting. And the jaunting yeah, is this symbolic. innate... Yeah, it's like this innate ability of all humans, and they worked out that one guy. Uh, it, it's a bit of a strange beginning of the book. They, they, um, he was in a life-threatening situation. He worked out that you can actually teleport, um, but only people who were in a life-threatening situation could do it. And he's like, bamf, and teleports. Um, oh, I the, like, I like the reference. Bamf. 
Um, <laughs> and yeah, no, where's that from? That's I can't from even remember. The X Men. Uh... Oh, X Men. Yeah, I've only seen the films of the X Men. You know, I'm not a comic book fan or something like that. But when I saw it, I thought, oh, this is like, you know, I remember seeing the the, the guy bamfing in um, in in the films there. So uh, actually, you so... know who ripped it off completely? What's that? Stephen Gould when he wrote Jumper. Jumper. Oh, really? Exactly the oh. same. Exactly the same as Jaunting. I, I don't know what I've not seen Jumper or don't know did what you, Jumper is. Did the they book. also have to be afraid of their lives before they could do it? Um. Yeah. Well, that's okay. something it's exactly I've exactly the same. Yeah, okay. I've, that's Except some, for the origin story. It's exactly. Hmm. Yeah. That's something I've read a, a few times before. Uh, like the whole, oh, you've got to do it, but you'll only be able to do it if you're, you know, in mortal danger. You know, and it's your last way out. Um, but the thing is, unlike these, um, I guess the uh, the X Files, not the X Files, the X Men, <laughs> and these other superhero things, is that suddenly, well, not suddenly, but over a period of a few generations, everybody learns how to um, jaunt around and teleport, and there's different limits, and nobody's been able to. Um, teleport across space. So when um, uh, when our you know Gully is is uh, shipwrecked in space, he can't teleport away because you, normally you'd be able to teleport to safety uh, from most situations, except if you're moving or in space. You know you have to know where you're going to and you have to know where you are. And if you're in orbit, you can't see that at all. Mm-hmm. Well, what do, so, what do you so, mean, yeah. Jesse, by um, jaunting is symbolic? Oh well, um. Our hero, right? He's a he's a no man in the sense that he's he's not of uh, any importance. He has no prospects. He has no interests. He has no nothing, right? Yeah. But when he's tested, when his life throws him a a series of horrible, uh, yeah, it's, a series it's... of horrible events, he 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 becomes uh, something symbolic in him is shown, and that is his ability to jaunt much farther than anyone else is capable of, right? Well, yes, yeah, but he only uh, we only find that out, like, you know, just after that, but... Uh, yeah, we don't even know that he can jaunt at the beginning of the book. Yeah, well, no, everyone can jaunt at the beginning of the book, but I do know what you mean about it's a bit symbolic. It's only when he's put into a life-threatening situation is then he can get himself out of the shipwreck, and he goes about it, you know, he does this, and he starts the engine, and he goes around. So it's literally mirrored immediately from the beginning of the book of when they're talking about people, you know, they actually solicit suicide people who, who are suicidal, people who are suicidal to see, if, hey, we'll put you in this life-threatening situation and see if you can jaunt out, and if not, it doesn't matter because you want to die anyway, you know, and it actually says it was quite a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, time. Uh, what did you think of the, um, the idea of naming jaunt after jaunt like a man <laughs> named jaunt is is the the i mean it's all it was a, it was a bit silly I it's thought. a bit silly but then i noticed it in the audiobook and then I, I just checked it now in the actual textbook as well that the man's name is not just jaunt it's charles fort jaunt and if you guys know who charles fort is he's not just he's just throwing it in your face who is he Charles Ford is like a a guy who who wrote about all the strange phenomena of of the Earth. He, he is like oh, and the, was he the guy who wrote about teleporting for the first time? He, he's the guy who wrote about um, uh, any sort of uh, strange phenomena. And so right. there's this this oh, okay. phenomena thing. So ball. Yeah, I think I've heard of him, but I don't. I... Uh, anything paranormal, supernatural, and he's he's the guy who collects all the these stories. 
yeah. ufology and cryptozoology, all that's oh, okay. basically the the father of that as a you know movement. And so there's yeah. a, a magazine called Fortean Times now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've heard of that. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, but, but I don't mind it, that it was named after him because, I mean, I was just reading this morning about, you know, there was a man named Doily who did special lace work and Doily oh. was named after him. So well, these things happen. I realize it was rather obvious and he's showing us this, but I, I could go with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany just scored against England, by the way. Um, so, or and, the uh, no, I don't get that. Um, <laughs> I'm English, but I live in Germany, and so I really don't mind who wins out of this game. No, anyway, but I think it's it's a bit strange that, you know, oh, it's like, oh, this is a reference to this person, this is a reference to this person. But for me, that kind of writing, and there's a lot of it going on in this book, I found a lot of it going on in this book. It's like, yeah, sure, okay, so you know this, this person, we'll just name it after him. It's like a game, but it doesn't actually make the book better, and it doesn't actually make it more interesting. Do you understand? Yes, it doesn't it's, say anything more. It's right, just it like, doesn't oh, add no, depth. No, it doesn't yeah. have depth. And I found that time and time again in this book. I'm like, sure, it's a retelling of this story. Or it's a retelling of that story. Oh, and I can see this reference. I can see that reference. But it's it's like, it, it's just sort of like a, on a, a top layer. Like you say, it's like, oh, and this person is actually this person. I'm like, oh, right. But now that I know that, it doesn't actually bring anything else out of the book. You know, it doesn't actually bring anything else out of the, uh, you know, out of the text except, oh, yeah, of course, he... Uh, can I just add one thing that kind of would finish where the story's going? Because we set up that he's shipwrecked, but basically what happens oh, yes. is a ship That's comes lost. along who he's like, oh, yay, rescue me. And he sets off signals or something. And then they just kind of ignore him and go on. And that sets the entire path for the book because hmm. he is determined to survive. So he may have e- extreme vengeance on this ship. And he was able to see the name. So he's got the ship's name. And his life's mission then becomes to extract vengeance from whoever passed him by and left him to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, so everything let's, let's, he does is because of that. Yeah, let's get into the, the point of that it's, be, it's a retelling of, or a, a, a kind well, of Well, that starts of, the Count of Monte Cristo theme right yeah. there. Yeah. Well, and, uh, let's, let's do the, the, the book starts with the, uh, the lines from Blake. Uh, tiger, tiger, burning bright <clears throat> in the forest of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Uh, it's pro- supposed to be pronounced symmetry, right? Well, I don't know. It's going to rhyme. Know. I'd probably say symmetry, probably. Yeah, but it, it's a forced rhyme. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I, I think well, symmetry. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And or I, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that's how it's supposed to be pronounced, just because it's it's a forced rhyme. Um, that I think the poem actually informs the uh, the story as well. Um, if you've got if you've got it there, it says uh, th- those are the first lines. Um, who is the tiger? Tiger? Well, it's our main character. Right? Mm. He's got a tiger on the face. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, yeah, that's what it. Well, just to say, when he when he does escape from the shipwreck, he gets picked up and by this sort of like scientist religion kind of uh, mm-hmm. group. And they tattoo his face, um, so uh, so that's a, sort of a one of those tiger, strange things. A tiger yeah. pattern from I guess New Zealand, a Maori. Style. Yeah, some kind. Yeah, I was thinking sort of like a Maori kind of lots of black swirly line kind of things going on there. Is what I imagine. The next lines are: In what distant deep or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what should yeah. and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, 
what dread hand and what dread feet. Uh, I mean, if you if you think about what kind of character this guy is, right? He's a rapist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not super obvious, uh, you know. It's not spelled out for you right away, but later on he admits it. Um, yeah. And he's. I think know, it isn't. It's it's not like it's not spelled out for you, but it's like not not spelled out. You know, it's one of those strange things. It's like, oh yeah, yeah he so threw he, her to the couch. And then the yeah, it's like he threw her for the couch, and then a minute later they're ravaging each other. And I'm like, is it really ravaging each other, <laughs> or is uh, or is it narrator's bit one sided? Yeah, that's a bit. Well, strange. the the whole Blake poem is about, um, you know, if. If these things were created, how can... Well, there's one line that says, um, Did he who make the lamb make thee? So he's describing how terrible the tiger is and um, yeah. you know how fierce it is and, and all this. And how could the same thing that created the lamb create the tiger? And I think that's one of the themes of the book. Yeah, there's a religious theme um, in the book as well. Even, even though it's a very atheistic society and religion is... Um, Banned, you know, you right. can't do it. Everyone has to, you know, it's all like underground religion and Bible I smuggling. Luke yesterday, briefly, and I, I made a note as soon as I, I uh, talked to oh, him. Oh, yeah, about pornography. Pornography. Do you guys remember the scene in which pornography is mentioned? I do not. He's in, he's in Italy, and he's, he's, he's looking for one of the guys who's on the ship, and he, he, comes across him, but it's actually someone pretending to be Italian, uh, someone who's working oh, yeah. against him. And he's a peddler in pornography, and he describes the pornography, and it's not pornography in the sense that we think of it. It's pictures of people kissing a cross, and pictures of people... Uh, oh, yeah, no, I do remember that. Oh, yeah. right, I forgot Pornography is, is religious symbology. Yeah, How did they, I they, not remember that? Come on. Yeah, they t- they talk about swearing as well. It's like, oh, what does Jesus Christ mean? They can't say, don't say that. You can't yeah, she's say that. Educating and, him. And uh, but you, it's like, yeah, but because now it's it, this is it's it's mentioned this a few times as well. Like you know what the hang up is of the of the um, of the culture that becomes that becomes the swearing uh, like you know because people say that I you know I don't know how much it is but like uh, um, in English and America, it's all about sex, but then in in French, it's it's more about religion and, um, mm-hmm. and excrement. And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, but I, the thing is, I don't know, I don't know enough about that. But it is just one of those things that you you sort of hear. So yeah. our future ones are going to be spam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna you be spammer the, you. The bad Ooh, things about what a troll. Yeah, mm. see, it's all, we're already part way there. Take that back. <laughs> so, so there's like I say, there's lot there's lots of these different themes and lots of different ideas, and I thought the world is that it's set in is actually quite really quite well realized. I I love the the people who there's there's a whole se- uh, sequence of scenes set up in uh, New Year's and they're following the New Year mm-hmm. around the world. That's been done lots before. I, I oh not lots before, maybe lots since as well. This book, so I've actually yeah. seen that played out in science fiction before. When well, the, when you can uh, Louis Wu in, in yeah, that's Ring who World. I was going to mention is Louis Wu in yeah, Ring that's World. that's. Yeah, yeah. Ringworld is is one of those is one of those things that I. I mean, it, it ha- they have a more science fiction explanation for how you yeah, but, travel around the world, right? This one is, however, it's however, there. it's 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 pretty much the same, except there it's sort of hand wavium um, uh, yeah. in technology, and here it's hand wavium and uh, in you know 
physiology. However, it's pretty much the same because there they go from one known spot where they know nobody's going to be. So this is wide areas. So they don't um, join. In, um, but, and it's the same in this with the, with the Louis Wu in, um, in Ringworld and those guys because they have the same... Um, they have the, have a similar kind of thing that they go from one spot to the next and then from one spot to the next. Uh, so I thought it was you know very similar. Um, but no, it's just the whole idea there, and you get the you get the the jackers who go around um, just when it starts getting dark or just when people start going out to work and their houses are empty, and then they come in there and they you know they find the empty buildings and the abandoned buildings and things and, and rip them off and um so that, you know it's this whole sort of like roving society that just keep can you can just keep going around the world and i and i just, think that that's one of the coolest aspects of the book that you yeah, know that's the, what I'm saying. The, the, i thought the world that was the he most informs cool. it with the with those you know the labyrinths everybody has to have a labyrinth in their house uh entrance yeah. so that nobody can figure out how to get in and steal all your stuff yeah, yeah. i mean I, I remember another detail about the uh uh, girls' rooms, you know, daughters' rooms having no windows, so nobody yep. could um, <laughs> see into see there in. and, and jaunt in. Yeah. <laughs> I also liked the way the wealthy people were shown because it harkened back to what I think of as ancient Europe. You know, everybody's just sitting around in these socials, uh, elaborately dressed, talking to each other, being extremely frivolous. Mm. And the whole concept of um, if you were really wealthy and important, you did not jaunt. You took a regular way of transport. Yeah, that, that felt like satire. Time. Then, oh, yeah, that then. whole part is satire. But it's a really yeah. good – I really like the kind of dystopian I satire going on here. Yeah. I, it was, it, I mean, you think about how – Rich people now, they have sailboats, right? Sailboats right. are not really great technology for getting where you want to go really fast. So what do they do? Really with There's the guy who has a... Uh, actually, is it our main character who has a train uh, that lays down track before he... Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. right which, and he brings his circus in on it. Yeah. But the thing I liked about it, though, was the fact that um, it. In a, I related to that because now what does nobody have enough of? Time. And yeah. so those people were so wealthy, they had time, and that's what they flaunted in a way. So I liked that aspect of it. What, what I liked about that as well is – well, not what I liked about it, but it's, it's his, always his first entrance. The way that they arrive at the, uh, at the parties has to, be, has to be the big thing. Um, Grand. So, but, and, and I do remember that actually from the film of the Mount, uh, the, the Mount of Monte Cristo. The Count of Monte Cristo um, was one of those things that I remember he came in on a hot air balloon. And I thought, well, that's a bit yes. elaborate. But then, of course, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to hide in plain sight at the top of society, you know, with, you know, with all the rich – um, with all the you know the rich people and the and everything like that, so I actually I thought that part of the book was really good, just how over the top it was, you know, because you have to make an entrance. And there's other point where he there's there's also other sort of mind skills as well. You get the telepaths and and things, and mm, um, which is so, more demolished man than than uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a it's a uh, uh, what what's the reading order? Uh, what's the publication order of these two books? Because mm. that that book is fully developed. Right, and this one feels a little bit undercooked in the in the that one department. But there's so much in it already. It might have been just um, I'm looking at it here. It says 1956 for the copyright. So I guess we can figure that out. I don't know when the Demolished Man was, but the thing I found interesting is the edition of the book that I had had a very interesting foreword that I read 
it afterwards. So oh, the Neil Gaiman one? Is that the one you have? No, this is an older one because oh, I got cool. a library book. Um, but it was by a guy named Paul Williams. And um, But he made a point that I think contributed to the fact that the book did feel kind of unfinished and rushed for me. But now that you're mentioning all these details, I wonder if I go back and reread it more slowly. Because he called it the first one of the first pyrotechnic novels. And he says, and maybe you guys all know this, but I didn't. He says, it's constructed quite literally like a chain of firecrackers. Each firecracker igniting the next, each explosion necessarily bigger than the last in order to sustain the impact on the reader. Such a novel, when done well, totally exhausts its reader with its astonishing pace of ideas and events, yet is so gripping that the reader must go on reading in spite of his own exhaustion, triggering a sort of intellectual overdrive, a surge of adrenaline that replaces exhaustion with a state of super-awareness. The breathless conclusion of a pyrotechnic novel leaves the reader certain that more things have happened to him than his dazed mind will ever be able to comp- comprehend or remember. And I read that and just went, bingo, that was me. Um, where I just felt like the reason it felt unfinished to me is because I did not grasp everything fully and I would need to read it again to see I if I think this is a book that right you not. need to re- reread because uh, obviously we're all picking up on things that you know are, different. are in there, but... Uh, not completely obvious, and the more I, I look at this book, the more I, I see in there, um, and yet there, are, you know, it's not all hidden away either. And it yeah. reminds me. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that. Yeah, I understand what you're saying about that with a pyrotechnic. You know, one firecracker setting off the next. Mm-hmm. However. I still, I you know, I see what they're doing. I can see what he's doing now, if that's what he's attempting. But I, st- I don't think it makes for a very interesting story or a very deep story. Sure, there's a lot of that, you know, there's lots of stuff in here that I didn't pick up on. You know, when you've already touched on some of those things already that I noticed, um, and um, Germany to England nil, and that I noticed, and, <laughs> uh, um, and you guys didn't, and then other people have noticed, and I didn't. That's fine. However, it's 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 like a game, it, uh, but I don't find it. I didn't find any of the things that the main character was doing particularly interesting at all. There's lots of stuff going on in the book all the time, lots of stuff here and lots of stuff there, and it does go off like a firecracker, like one thing goes off after the other, but I didn't actually like the entire, like, I didn't like the main character for a start, and his story <laughs> didn't interest me very much at all. The whole revenge story, done well, can be good, but however, he suddenly he does fall into a lot of money like the the, the count of monte cristo mm-hmm. but yet his his revenge story keeps going on and i didn't find that compelling i didn't believe like that he managed to get out of the situation he's on top of the world he's one of the richest men in the world and um and it's and, and it's all going well oh england just scored i think um <laughs> so so that's all so that's all uh, working out really well for him but then the story itself doesn't go anywhere and no matter how many of the uh, how much other stuff goes on all these firecrackers and this event going off and this event going off and this event going off, if i don't care about the original mission and i don't care about the character it doesn't leave me a lot to go with um in in terms of interest in the novel and unlike i mean this guy in this in this afterwards that you just read he said it was like yeah you keep going and keep going and you're left with this with this overall sense of not knowing everything i think that sounds more like an excuse for a book which is a bit of a mess and needs editing down into something and with you know mm-hmm. and it, it's not standing up it was a story it's like an excuse for the novel rather than a it's like a bug not a feature i guess is one thing <laughs> one way you could look at yeah, Does that make I, sense? I felt, yeah, I felt um, kind of the opposite because I did. I have read this um, sometime, a long time ago, 
And um, th- this time when I read it, I-, I liked it way more than I did then. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not certain why it is, but it, the you know foil to me was a spectacle throughout the whole thing. And and I never did lose my interest in him. You know, it was more like a you know an an open mouth wow <laughs> throughout the whole thing. It's just like you know, especially in the first part. You know, in the first book. Um, you know, <laughs> all all through when he's uh, you know stuck in the yeah. ship and everything that he does. I mean, the images in my head and uh, they were just yeah. absolutely fantastic all the way through um, the end of that. I, I, did they call it the first book? I can't remember. It's a section or or anyway, it's like prologue yeah. one or whatever. No, yeah. it wasn't the prologue. It was uh, no, no. It was actually section. when he was all shipwrecked. Yeah, I thought yeah. the shipwreck at the beginning was amazing, and Part then. Two. Yeah, and then when he actually had to encounter somebody else, and it right. just goes, oh, and he meets up with these people, and he just escaped, and he escaped with all this money or whatever. He, oh no, no, he hadn't. He didn't have the money by then. He's like, oh yeah, and then he escaped, and he just killed all these people and wiped these people out here and wiped. And I was just like, oh, so it's it's one of those people. And I, I guess maybe that's I, I didn't pick up on that so much in the first time I read this novel years ago, um, but uh, yeah, so so that's a bit. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, just, I just I guess I'm just saying I never did lose my interest in him, you know, but the first oh, portion of the book I did. If it, the first portion but, of the book is different, you know, yeah. it like shifts gears into the second portion. But in the second yeah. portion what you've got is all the societal stuff that's going on that you don't see in the first part. Um but the yeah, first but I enjoyed part is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I enjoyed I, it. Too. I enjoyed the different, uh, different aspects of it and it was uh, uh, but put it this way if it wasn't for this podcast that we're doing now and for like the hundred of people who who've suggested i read this book and review it i probably wouldn't have finished probably wouldn't have bothered finishing it mm. because I, I just didn't find it that enjoyable and you know i i tried it i thought oh maybe it's just the narration and then i went across and i read probably about a third of this book um you know as a paper book as a real book and then about uh you know the, the rest of it i listened to as a as an audio book which i actually quite enjoyed the narration where, where and i enjoyed that come from by the way who, who it's um uh, Library of Congress book for the blind. Oh, is it? Okay. okay. It's not. It's not available as an audiobook, um, and uh, there's no plans. Uh, there's apparently some fight amongst the heirs of Bester as uh, to uh-huh. who owns the rights. And I was just in the bookstore trying to find another copy, and I've got I've got my old hardcover here, but um, they don't have a paperback in the in the bookstore. This is a huge book in science fiction, and even if oh, Luke yeah. doesn't think it's it's worthy, <laughs> oh uh, no, I understand. I, 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 underst- I understand why it, people think it is worthy because the book itself thinks it's very worthy, and it is uh, one of these very worthy ooh, books. But ow. I think it, do you understand what I'm saying, though? That's that's the level. Yeah, that I, I do. Know, like it's like oh yeah. Well, I I think you have to be interested remember. in the overall theme of transformation because that's. I mean, I'm going to stick with oh, the Count of Monte Cristo in a sense because. I don't want to give anything away, Master's but review of uh, of the, the book we did previously, um, the status civilization was very arrogant as well. It sounded like you know Sheckley can do much better than this. Yeah, and, yeah, I recall that. And it, it, I think you know Alfred Bester is very proud of himself, and it sort of shows up in this in this book. Oh, so much! But I, I, I think what he's done is pretty impressive. I think. Oh, like I say, it's like, but it for me, it feels too much like a um, a construct. It's like, oh, and I'm going to put in this reference, and this is, oh, check this out. We're going to have like, we're going to have the, you know, like I said before, I just stick with the, uh, the well, example that I gave before of him going, ah, oh, well, he has to, someone has to be able to um, 
uh, jaunt, but they can only jaunt in a you know they can only change in that way and actually go through this this next step in in human in the human journey when they're in a life threatening situation. Oh, and check it out. Next chapter, we're going to put someone in a life threatening com- uh, situation, and that's going to be the thing that you know transforms him and makes him go up you know into his next level of growth. You understand? Perhaps it's because he wasn't very smooth at putting together all the different influences because I was really interested. We keep mentioning the Count of Monte Cristo, but the fact that his name is Gulliver Foyle and uh, the first place that in Gulliver's or the second place after the, you know, the Lilliputians that Gulliver visits and Gulliver's travels is, I can't remember the name of it, but I just was looking it up and it was a floating uh, like Cloud City, where the people were devoted to the arts of music and mathematics, but utterly unable to use these for practical ends. Yeah, well, when he's yeah. rescued, that's like the asteroid people who I absolutely loved. Arrival of the fittest is the doctrine of holy Darwin, most scientific. And they're, of course, yeah, oh, just savages. Most scientific. And, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And so there's that point. And then the fact that he uses type and images in interesting ways, which I don't know how that would have done in the audio book, but yeah, I was a bit, worked... I was a bit nervous about how that would come across, but it, it was actually done quite well, I think. In the okay, movie. although I well, noticed he... when I was reading along that um, the version that the narrator had was different than mine, so there were some lines missing. Um, ah, oh, well, this missing. was saying he wrote. Com- he wrote comic books for four years, and so he did, he had training, he said, in visualization, attack, dialogue, and economy. And so it may be that it's this book is almost a translation of that training, and it's not very smooth. Because he took all these other things, like the whole um, – well, I can't say that because it's a spoiler, but the drifting in space thing, that goes back to something in World War II. That yeah, he, I, uh, he wove into there that he saw and was struck by and stuck that away to use in a story sometime. Yeah, was that in? Was that on the so, Wikipedia page about it, or was that in the afterwards? Or, or that was in that forward. It was really uh, amazing. Maybe, maybe I, well, I uh, read that somewhere. It might have been in the Wikipedia page. I mean, um, and then the fact that he was talking to a guy in an Italian butcher shop or something, and they were started talking about synesthesia, and so that wound up in the book also, which. I'm just going to say my daughter has synesthesia, uh, which so I found that very interesting. Yeah, what what I find interesting about synesthesia is that it sounds like I, she has synesthesia. Oh, the poor girl! Actually, synesthesia is not a disease. It's like just a alternative. It's like um, it's basically your brain is connecting a lot of different things that most brains don't connect. Like when she hears words, she experiences textures, oh, sound and smooth. Well, like um, the word my name, Julie, I believe means pecan pie. She experiences the (laughs) texture. I know. Um, Moon is chocolate milk or something like that. I mean, it's all these odd things. And she says some of them, it wasn't until I, like she experienced different foods later on that she went, oh, that's what this word has been connecting to all this time. This this pie tastes like my mom. Yeah, kind of like that, <laughs> except it's not the taste. I was checking with her yesterday. It's not the taste. It's the texture, and they're all different ways of experiencing it. Like um, for a very common one is that you hear words or you hear loud sounds, and you see like sculpture in your brain. You see shapes. You see like colors, shapes, yeah. or you can hear letters, and they're colors to you. Like I have a friend who I was telling her about this, and she said – 
oh, well, when I hear people's names, they're always a color, mm. green or blue or red. or And she never – and it's with most people. They don't tell anyone <laughs> because they find out very young they're weird. So they just or, don't know. they think older. everybody is like that. I've, I've read this or heard this quite a bit is that a lot of people think that they're um, – that it's just normal. It's like, oh yeah, that that number is this color, you know, and they just think that's that's the way it is. Yeah, but then they um, start to get, you know, look strange looks from other people. Right. They they tend to hide it. Is is my daughter know. told um her the mother of her best friend who said that's weird, and I was like, oh, so sensitive. So she walked around for the next few days, going, I think I'm crazy. Something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. She was about eight, so she didn't mention it until she was in high school. And I actually was worried she was crazy, but my other daughter had heard something about it on NPR and said, oh, my gosh, I know what this is. Yeah. She is crazy, so, just like everyone else is crazy. Yeah, well, they say that babies they say babies kind of have that when they're born and they their brain kind of learns to distinguish and channel things. And yeah. these people, those connections just stay open. So I just thought it was interesting that he then went, that's what I needed for this piece of the book. Um, I wouldn't seem have known to... what it was. I think yeah, this, I didn't... this part might might age badly if we we give it a hundred years. I think synesthesia will will seem like a very it's like it's like throwing a hot air balloon into your story. It, it sort of loses its prestige if everybody's well, got a hot air balloon. Maybe except they've known about it since they have written records of it from the medieval times, and then people would forget about it. And then they'd rediscover it, and then they'd forget about it again, and then they'd read it. They yeah, have all it's these relatively uh, untalked about. Yeah, well, or they just kind of forget all about it, and then someone would go, "Well, I just heard a woman who, when she hears trumpets, sees bright blue." Let and me so let me throw another grenade later. in here um, from my introduction. I've got a copy uh, with an introduction by Neil Gaiman. Uh, oh yeah, that's the Masterwork uh, series. Yeah, I had that's I had that's one that I have too. of time and gully. I didn't actually read it though because I. Well, there's uh, a, a nice I, short sentence here. Because um, you hated the book, but no, it's not that I hated the book. I thought it was a very good book. I mean, I thought it was an alright book. I just didn't. I just didn't enjoy it. That's the point. Is that I, ah, I wanted? Yeah. Maybe I was expecting more out of it after it's being bigged up, you know. And 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 I understand how it's written. I understand it's a game. I understand it's trying to be very worthy and trying to be enjoy it. And Let I didn't get that. here and see what you think of this. The stars, my destination, is after all the perfect cyberpunk novel. Contains such carefully proto cyber elements as multinational corporate intrigue, a dangerous, mysterious, hyper scientific MacGuffin, Pyre, an amoral hero, and a super cool thief woman. And when I, I was reading this, I was thinking, yeah. Jesse Asylong. Uh, well, I, it sounds to me like it's a, a cyberpunk ish novel, but computers really don't play any role in this book no. at all. It's like a cyberpunk without any cyber in it. Um, yeah. Before there was cyber. What I was thinking was that it was more along the lines of a uh, a Philip K. Dick novel that had been boiled and boiled and boiled and boiled until uh, a lot of the, you know, it, it, it had become hard-boiled in the sense that the character <laughs> is much more highly motivated um, to act in the world rather than to have things happen to him. Uh, most Philip K. Dick characters are sort of passive uh, schlubs who have things, ha- you know, happen to them and they have to deal with it. Whereas this guy is, yeah, he has something happen to him and then he has to go out and destroy yeah. the Because he's a schlub, that's at the beginning. Well, he's kind of a schlub. He's more like a, a useless, useless. 
Yeah. And then the other thing I found interesting, though, was at the end, because I agree, Luke, it, it's not I don't know if I'd want to reread it. And it's not like I like that character. He's almost like an antihero. But mm-hmm. um, he, you don't want to be like him. But at the very end, when again, I'm trying to think how to say this, he kind of has some images of the future um, and some of the people and the things they're saying to him. You realize that for these people to be saying these things, he has gone on and developed further into a more likable character. We just don't get to see that part. We get taken up to that point of extreme change, and then it's done. There, there was another section that I want to mention. Uh, I know we don't have a lot of time for Julie, but um, in I, I don't think it's in the uh, Count of Monte Cristo, which is the clearly the the biggest inspiration I think for this story. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got the he's actually imprisoned twice um the first is on the ship which is sort of not the real imprisonment that that we later get which is much clearer when he's he's thrown into the dungeons of uh of <laughs> under france right yeah um which is you know pretty obvious and he, i think the parallels from there start happening quite obviously uh with his you know he he gets his fortune in the same way that the count from monte cristo gets his fortune or or Dante is his yeah. name. Yeah, he gets his fortune. Um, you know, he finds out about it in the after the prison. He finds out about it in the prison, and he goes and gets it. That that follows nicely. But if you remember, before he ha- he's thrown in the prison as a sort of a punishment to find out where the ship is, the nomad. Mm-hmm. Is, he he is um, tricked. Um, they try and trick him into revealing the location. And they do it in the same manner that I wrote about recently on the website, um, the introduction to the taming of the shrew. Do you guys, did you read that article I wrote? I did read it, yeah, but read now it. I'm trying to remember because I thought that was a great subject. But It, it was interesting because it just struck me how Philip K. Dick, the, the introduction to the taming of the shrew, is it's called the induction. And it's a scene in which a drunkard, a, sort of a man of no, no importance, is tricked by a lord into uh, believing that he is, uh, his whole life that he remembers is false. Oh, yeah. He's a, he is a wealthy lord. And mm-hmm. the character's name is Christopher Sly. And the play that he's pre- presented with is actually The Taming of the Shrew. So The Taming of the Shrew is a play within a play. Yes. And yet it's, we never see uh, Christopher Sly again. Right at the end of the of the play, and so it's it's kind of often it's left off, but that sequence it's not a framing sequence because it's not followed up on. But that opening um, is very much similar, and you know it's even presented in the same way in this story. He's he's uh, said you know you were sick and your delusion was bad. Now you're getting better. Don't don't think about those false memories. You just need to talk about it. And they present him with a beautiful wife, and they're all actors, right? All these actors are pretending to be his his loyal family. And then yes. later on, he takes on the, that name uh, mm-hmm. and presents himself as um, as not pristine. Uh, he, he presents himself as a lord in, in the same way that happens in in the Count of Monte Cristo. Right? He presents himself as the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Um, I thought that was uh, just a, a very interesting sequence, and that's that's why it felt like you know 
he's got tons of stuff that he's jamming into this book. And when Luke was saying it needed to be edited, uh, I mean, it's 258 pages. It's a short book. No, I'm not saying it needs to be edited for length. I think it needs to be edited to... Well, it's not even that it needs to be edited. It's just like... I just felt it was a very shotgun approach to a theme. You understand? It's like... We're going to do it. We're going to have the theme of this book is going to be transformation. Ah, how are we going to do that? Well, you can do this. And then we're going to have this. And then we can have this. And then we can have this. And we're going to have this. And it's just, it's not, it's not even, it doesn't even feel clever. You know, it's like that whole, like, Julie picked up on the, you know, the Gulliver's Travels thing. I didn't. But now that I found out about it, it's just like, well, that's great. But why did it have to be that society that he went to when he first rescued himself and he, and he got picked up by these people and then he got out? And it's like, so why the tiger in his face? And it's like, there's there's no reason yeah, for any it, of it. It, it does. It, it feels like um, one damn thing after another. Yeah. But that <laughs> is a style of writing. You have to remember that there was there is this this style of you know storytelling where you you send a, a man on a series of strange adventures, and that's Gulliver's Travels, right? It, yeah, it doesn't right. have to make sense to you as long as you appreciate that. Genre. Yeah, but Gulliver's well, Travels is, is, I think, a, a very clever satire. And what I liked about this oh, book yeah. was the parts when it was a satire. You know, it was more yeah. of a satire, you know, and a, that kind of stuff. But the story itself, what I'm saying is that I really enjoy it when a story is thematic. The plot is thematic. It's so easy to put in any random references into a book. It's like, oh, and a this, and then that, and then this. Oh, look, I've read this poem, and I've read this book. And it's like, yeah, that's not clever. But to tell a story, you know, when they actually, you know, write something, thing and people go oh these two within this book make sense within the book within the story but there's nothing in this book which actually makes sense within the book except with it's a, it's a more meta others. book is what you're yeah it's a so, it's so, more of a meta book yeah. and i i guess just didn't enjoy it very much whereas yeah, there's, lots, a, of, there's lots of for literature lovers yeah, whereas there's lots of other books, even which is sort of like just, you know, like, for example, there's the, the, the Peter Hamilton's, Peter F. Hamilton's current series um, where, you know, and there's there's some, you know, there's a, like a fantasy side of it. And then there's sort of like a very uh, advanced, you know, uh, space opera part of it as well. And everything that is in the book is contained in the book. Sure, there are references to literature and there's references here and there. But all of it, you know, all of it together tells a story, you know, and I, and I think I mentioned this in the review that I did of the book is that it's really telling a story about power and the use of power and how power. But it's the theme is really, really well done within the plot of the story and within the characters in the story. And it's really well written. Whereas a book like this, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not saying that it's, uh, you know, a bad book. It's just that the way that the thematic exploration is without the book. Do you understand what I mean? Not like it's on the outside of the book it's not within the story I agree. I agree. yeah it's, yes. it's left open uh, it's left very open for the reader i think and the um the thing is is also bester was preoccupied with renaissance man as an ideal which you can kind of see here although i don't really see gully as a renaissance man oh no he, he becomes one well, he at the, yeah it. by the end but i think he really said he was always a great believer in people and their untapped potential. And so I think this is that shotgun. I think he was looking at it for himself and it turned into a book that everybody else loved because it did so many other things. Exactly. But it's kind of like Jesse said, it's like great <laughs> literature that you don't understand um, where you just have to take several shots at it if you care that much. And if you don't like it, then you're not going to care enough. So then that didn't do that job right. But some people will. So they 
keep coming back to it, maybe. Well, you could probably come back to it too much, but um, there, there's one other uh, thing I want to throw out that I'm not sure anyone else will get because I just got it uh, about 10 minutes before we started recording. Uh, I've been reading the classic comics uh, of <laughs> Monte Cristo, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, it, it follows a very similar sequence to the certain aspects of the book. You know, we've got Four Mile of Series. That's that's the name he takes when he he gets the platinum and and uh, yeah. turns yeah. to earth and right. Oh, um, yeah. well, we've got that. We've got that same treasure, except in in this case, the treasure was on the ship that he was on, right? Right. There, there are disanalogies, but that's not. Yeah, he goes back to it, doesn't he? He goes back to the. Yeah, ship. he goes back to the ship, and that doesn't happen yeah. in in the uh, our original story, right? Uh, yeah, the uh, Count of Monte Cristo. But um, what I was thinking is, well, there are actually two treasures in uh, the Stars My Destination, and one one of the treasures is the the platinum, but the real treasure is the pyre, right? Right. By R with a capital E. And besides me thinking that this was the inspiration for Pyre Books, P-Y-R Books, you know, the uh, publisher. Isn't it spelled differently? Yeah, it's P-Y-R. There's no E. Ah, okay. I I would bet that they they got some inspiration from that. Um, Besides that, um, I was thinking, well, if this is a symbolic book and it's referencing uh, this other material, what does the Pyre represent? And I thought about that for a few minutes, and I kept reading, and then it came to me like that. I knew exactly what the pyre represented. Tell us, tell us. That is, please. Napoleon. It's Napoleon. Oh yeah, because he has to go and of yeah, he has to go and save Napoleon, doesn't he? Or not save him, but you know. Well, but the whole background of of the of the reason the, he's in jail. Whole reason yeah. he's in jail. The mm-hmm. whole development of the You're right. Is that there's this firecracker in the background, this world-changing thing, and if there's anything that was world-changing in the time in which the novel is set, it's Napoleon, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's the motivation behind everything in the end, and it's the MacGuffin yeah. hidden behind yeah. everything, and that makes me think. Well, you know, that is that's the extra depth that makes me like it all the more is that I can keep coming back to it and keep looking at it and it's not uh just a simple story i can keep coming back in and keep looking at it and finding new things if if i make those discoveries for myself i find enjoyment mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. a puzzle at that point kind of yeah hmm. there's one, one other thing that i want to mention before we wrap up here um that that i wrote down and um, something that seems to recur throughout the book is um, thoughts and versus actions. So, mm-hmm. like the jaunting is thinking turning into action, mm-hmm. and then the pyre itself is you're you're basically thinking about it exploding. Ooh, is that a mm-hmm. spoiler? Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. No, no, it isn't because it's it really is. Yeah. It really so, isn't MacGuffin. It doesn't actually matter what it was. It just sure. it could have been. Any but but I think I think that he's trying to make a point here, and that might be one of the major themes of the book is um, thought turning into action. Um, yeah. You know, in the, in the whole character of him, like you know, when at the sure. beginning when his ship, uh, when that ship leaves him, his thought changes and his action changes. Um, you know that, that that's something that captured me anyway. You know, and to me, I felt like it was a major theme that recurred throughout the whole thing. 
I, I'll give one more thing that I think was really terrific. The opening um, sentences are just terrific. I, I thought it was very old-fashioned, you know, like uh, a Tale of Two Cities sort of well, style. Exactly. Opening. That's the other thing, yeah. Uh, this was a golden age, a time of high adventure, rich living and hard dying, but nobody thought so. This was a future of fortune and theft, pillage and rapine, culture and vice, but nobody admitted it. This was an age of extremes, a fascinating century of freaks, but nobody loved it. All the habitable worlds of the solar system were occupied. Three planets and eight satellites and eight, 11 million, million people swarmed in one of the most exciting ages ever known. Yet mine still yearned for other times, as always. And goes on. Um, 11 million I, million? I can't remember. 11 million million. <laughs> wow, that's like 11 trillion people. Well, it's, it's the future, you know. <laughs> 11 trillion, even though... Well, I mean, trillion. Jupiter. That's why they have all those planets. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I guess I, when, I, when I, I listened to I started listening to it with a... With a maybe I just didn't pick up on that. Maybe I thought it was 11... Oh, I don't know, 11 million million. That's a lot. That is a trillion, isn't it? 12 zeros? It's a no. big number. Yeah, but to me, that's why, yeah, that fit in perfectly with the whole thinking of the time, especially that the future is going to be so overcrowded. Soylent Green... There, there's, there's another thing that occurred to me too. Is, is you know about this jaunting, right? It's, it, it sort of almost keeps it from being a straight science fiction book. Everything else is very straight science fiction about it. Um, it, it you know, even telepathy. Although I, I don't think it's very realistic. It, a lot of people were doing sort of scientific experiments to making, you know, whether it's possible. There's no real evidence that you know tele, uh, that uh, teleportation has ever been. Uh, studied as yep. a science right so it doesn't quite work and i was thinking well in that case this future can never happen but then i revised my opinion a bit when i was thinking about you know second life in second life you can go to uh you know zap yourself from one place to another or you can walk there and yeah. there are no cars uh -huh. right because people can just zap themselves to one place or another. So if, you're saying this entire book is cyberpunk and it all happened inside a computer it, game? It, well, or it could. <laughs> but, yeah, in and fact, it past. That in the future, uh, people will be like, they'll live at home, but they'll go out in, you know, a surrogate style. Oh, like um, telepresence, yeah. And in that case, you know, you can, you know, jaunt from one place to another. But if you want to interact with people on Jupiter, it's... a uh, you're going to have to get in a spaceship and fly there because the, you know, there's still needs for spaceships and the the sort of the setup where there are no local transportations. There's only, um, you know, walking around a room and then getting in a spaceship. That those are the only two kinds of transportation. It's kind of strange. Um, could it ever happen? Only in a you know a cyberpunk future, perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I it also a bit like. Apologetic. <laughs> I also liked the um, fact that the loose end, a loose end that I noticed from the very beginning when he's encountering Robin, I, he was like, I kept going, this part never got answered. Why did nobody notice this thing he could do that nobody else, you know, she's like, how'd you do that? Hmm. Well, at the very end, it becomes hugely important. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the point. And I was like, oh, I like that he actually went back and tied that loose end up or yeah. held it reserved. I, I I think that, that, that it was a nice tie-up. I, I, to me, that was one of those moments when I went, oh, thank you. I appreciate you thinking about me that much. I've been wondering. <laughs> so, well, 
what that everything else is like I, I always think it's really funny in these kind of books and it's like and this happened and this happened and this happened and then this happened and you're like what what and it's like ah oh, yes because three months before somebody did this and you're like oh right so that oh uh, yes it's like retroactive foreshadowing which is one we of those got, weird things yeah. we got the um, chapter 15 is is you know the explanation for for chapter 16 and the rest of the book <laughs> yeah well and to me this was a I don't know if anybody else felt this way. I felt it was a very difficult book to read. You had to really pay attention. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that was kind of a I barrier I had to overcome. Skipped, it skips a lot. You know, it skipped here and well, not skipped, but it, there was lots of times when it was skipping forward in time quite quickly. So, and if you missed the first sentence of a of a, or if you didn't pay attention, because you know, I was did part of it, like I say, part of it with an audio book and part of it, and if I didn't just miss that first bit. And suddenly I was like, oh, where are they now? Yeah, he realized, doesn't oh, it's, linger. It's three- he doesn't linger. Yeah, he doesn't he jump, like, <laughs> then jumps, then jumps. He's like, that's over. Now let's go three months into the future and we'll do this. You know, so. Yes. I soon discovered I could not read this before going to sleep at night. There was no way. So yeah. um, like, like we were saying, uh, there's no audiobook. Uh, there's also oh, – there's no official audiobook and there's no chance of it anytime soon. Um, like, which is, which is uh, great that's an official line. audio. Yeah, <laughs> but but I do want to highly recommend. I know not everybody loves it so far, but I think it's wonderful. The BBC audio drama dramatization. I think it's one of the finest audio dramas uh, done of a novel ever, hmm. um, because the narrator is actually one of the the scientific people, and he oh. he tells what happens. He says, you know, it, he he does the opening lines, um, and then he tells this funny story of this funny man named Gulliver Foyle um, and because you know he, they go to him and then they come back he comes back later he sort of knows the whole story um, and they oh, keep that, so yeah. many of the lines from the book you know his face was pulpy <laughs> it's like <laughs> what? he's got a pulpy face well you know he's in an accident he's gangrene like it just comes alive a lot more and that the guy who plays Gully, Gully Foyle um, in the same way that the narrator in this uh, audio, the audiobook that is an unofficial one, the book for the blind, um, yeah. is he did a very good job in you know giving Gully Foyle the character that's in the book. He's sort of a, a gruff, yeah. stupid, un- and also changes um, throughout. So he starts off that way, exactly, yeah, and he becomes he very up. eloquent. Uh, near okay, the- here's a, here's a good question for the audiobook. Mm-hmm. V. Was it V A L E T? Is it valet or valet? Valet. Valet. Exactly. And he said valet every time, and I was like, "That's wrong." And he first said it a few times, and then at one point they go to a chalet, and I've there's a valet in the chalet. <laughs> and, but it's not. There's not a valet in the chalet. There's a, a valet <laughs> in the chalet. Valet in the chalet. <laughs> yeah. And I was well, like, well, Golly Foyle would say it was a valet. Mm-hmm. No, he would yeah, nah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of those things where I would have been listening, going, "Oh, the British fillet of steak and valet." Okay, got it. <laughs> and I would have been wrong. Oh yeah, fillet and fillet. Yeah, I, I understand that. I guess, but it, it really was. No, it didn't bother me. But every, it, it there's because he gets quite rich, and there's lots of valets who um, you know help him here, and a valet there, and a valet here. But when he actually said there was a valet in the chalet, and I'm like, read the word, look, <laughs> really, look at the page. Yeah, I know. But and there was a few other times I noticed that, that I was thinking he he has a very like English accent, or you know, it's very English, but. But then I was thinking, I think this is an American putting on a very good English accent. Yeah. However, it's one of those things, where it is, you know, where they, they get a few bits 
you know, patronizing, patronizing kind of, uh, you know, two two words that you'll only know that if you just know that word. But again, valet and valet, even in America, it's valet, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> even well, in America, no, I did. Yeah. I, think yeah, I did enjoy. I did enjoy the acting and the voice acting in in the audio book. But the language is quite old. You know, you get the Negro girl. Oh, I'm looking for this Negro girl. I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> so. It, like it yeah, no, that was one of the few, one of the few times that I felt like the book was dated. I thought it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think one. it's uh, mostly not dated. You know, when, when I read it, you know, that right. could've it'll could've come back into fashion. Come on, I mean, <laughs> it's everything circular. African Americans yeah, popular now. Yeah, we'll see. Be, uh, Negro. We'll have Chicanos and <laughs> got it. Okay. Hey, got England it. hit the crossbar. Go ahead. What? Oh, they've been hitting the crossbar. They hit a crossbar, it went in, and then it bounced, and it didn't even bounce out again, but the goalkeeper reached around, picked the ball out of the goal when it was still bouncing off the crossbar twice, and then took it out. When people are oh, still no. listening to this podcast. Listen, I don't even watch, and those refs, I know they're bad. <laughs> I, but it's, it should be 2-2 at the moment, but it's 2-1. I mean, again, I don't, uh, it doesn't matter. You're anyway, living so let's get back to the remember, okay? remember when I said... I feel like a bit of a hypocrite saying that it feels a bit like a game that he's playing. It's, oh, look, this theme, and there's all these different things in the book, and we're just going to do this for the theme. And, and, and I remember saying that I actually really enjoyed this about Hyperion, um, where it, there is lots and lots of references to other books and other stories and other um, science fiction stories and Shakespeare and all of these different things. However, in that book, I, I think that sort of served the theme of it, of course, but also served the plot. It served the... Because it's a collection of, what, six stories, isn't it, that they tell? Um, Something like that. And yeah, so it's it's those six things. So, but however, like the 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 whole uh, what you call the Canterbury Tales kind of retelling. That, well, it's not mm-hmm. retelling, but it's using that same. Oh, these people are on a pilgrimage, and now they're going to retell the story. It suits the story that's being told itself, and has a you know it seems to have a reason there. And the bit where they sort of start retelling like a bit of Romeo Juliet kind of stuff going on. Yeah, that's retold. And these and a lot of these you know, and there's one section which is more sort of like noirish, hard boiled, and there's these other other parts and they and, but they all seem to serve the story that's being told at the moment whereas in this book i found it didn't do that mm-hmm. so much yeah i've got to tell you I'm, i missed most of these references you know that have come up today um yeah but i still you know i just really like the book i think i really enjoyed the themes and hmm. uh the whole journey of gully foil and i did it's one of the few books that i've read that um you know, I have read it way in the past, but to the, you know, I finished it actually just this morning. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I saw you? that on Goodreads.com. Yeah. You were like page two hundred fifty. Page two hundred. I'm like, oh, you got to get there, Scott. Yeah, but I, if if I didn't have this podcast, I would have immediately started the book over, and that is really, <laughs> really, really, really rare because I know uh-huh. that there's some things that um, I missed in there, and um, you know, I, I will be reading it again. Not sure when, but I, I, I will. Yeah. I, I want to throw two more things in here, and then I think we can wrap this up. Um, first, there's something we missed um, again. Uh, I just sent you the link. Uh, yeah. The Pyrenees is where he was He was uh, stuffed in some caves, right? Uh, yeah. Pyrenees is P-Y-R-E and then N-E's, right? Oh, I never thought of that. Yeah, so that, that's one thing. Um, the other it thing- says classical mythology, there is a Pyrene is the princess who gave her name to the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. That's even more of a tie-in. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it, it may be an un, unknown influence he he may have just thought about it, but he he said it there anyway. Um, the other thing is, 
another thing that made the book very cyberpunk was remember he wires himself he has himself yeah i actually really enjoyed that part as well that was cool he 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 basically he's got you know it's got the matrix powers you know he can turn himself off yeah time and and yeah, then the whole speeding turn of time himself thing. on. He, what's he clicks his tooth or something, and then yeah, go punch three guys, and then turn himself back on and see what they have to say. But I really liked it. I mean, a tiny bit of spoiler. At one point, he doesn't manage to turn himself off, and he's like, uh, yep. <laughs> so time slows down, and then he gets knocked unconscious, and time is still too slow. And yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, yeah, there are parts of the book that I like, you know, and, you know, to, to to wrap up my review of it, you know, it's one of those sort of like two and a half stars. There's lots of stuff in the book that I really enjoyed. However, I think the overall project, the overall story, the overall finished product isn't isn't as enjoyable as I thought it was going to be, considering that I remember enjoying it before. But I guess it's maybe, I don't know, it just wasn't, I don't know, it's just one of those things that I... Maybe expected a bit more or less. I don't know. Well, maybe we'll have to read it again in five years and see, see if your opinion has changed. <laughs> I'm not sure. The thing is, maybe if I actually read the read the book all the way through, I'd get I'd, I'd notice different things because that's the thing when you do it listening to an audio book as well as that you you can't you, you don't pause it and think about it as much. That's so maybe right. that's it again. But I just have to you know when I on my own podcast when I do the star ratings, I have to just do it by how much I enjoyed the book. I can't say you know I think it's a a better book than the enjoyment I got out of it this time. Um, True, because I gave it three stars for that reason. It wasn't a book that I went, oh, everybody must read this book. I liked it and I like talking about it, but I don't know if I'll read it again or maybe in five years. Yeah, Give it it another five years. years Then I'll be smart enough to catch more of the references also. See you again in 2015. (laughs) (laughs) give it three stars for, I, i'm gonna give it two and a half stars i think on goodreads i put two stars on it but that's only yeah, because it's it, it's only because if i put three stars it would it would you know it's you like it or something right then yeah, it would, you know. well the thing is it would be that would be like an overall more enjoyable experience and i had an overall quite average not that enjoyable probably wouldn't have finished it kind of experience did you review this on your um podcast no, this, will be it. Yeah, this, will be this is it okay i didn't know i i was looking around i didn't see it i wasn't gonna listen because i didn't want to know ahead of time but ah. okay and it's good because we've done this main, mainly without spoilers i don't think we've put in any big spoilers here have we except that we've blatantly said oh yeah it's like the mount, mount account of monte cristo well and that over. and mentioned what was a MacGuffin, and i was like eh, whatever yeah well we know. Uh, thing is it's it doesn't ruin things. the story to know that, no, actually. No, really, because you know it's going to be. I don't think you're going to spoil a book like this. You just have to read it. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of Ooh. thing. And that's, I think, probably why I didn't like it. Because even, like you say, even if you know the full story, like I did already, um, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's one of those strange things. It's an experience rather than a. Yeah, it's more of an experience that you're reading. Mm-hmm. This time I read it, I didn't enjoy the experience very much. Whereas maybe before when I've read it, I did enjoy the experience a bit more. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.